to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, this morning, talking about a father's joy. And the text is written primarily uh, about our Heavenly Father, but also about the Apostle Paul and him calling some of his new converts uh, children. And that was a practice that happened in the New Testament time. The Apostle John did the same thing, talking about people he had led to the Lord becoming his children under his leadership or under his teaching. But all of us fall under the category as Christians of having a heavenly father. But today I want to take it another step. I want to talk to the dads or the earthly fathers today about your children. And I found this text today uh, to be very fitting for that purpose. So let's stand one more time and then uh, you can be seated after we read God's Word, and we stand in honor of that here today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. The Bible says, But we, brethren, having been bereft of you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? For you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, we could, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it has come to pass, as you know. Verse 5, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent out to find, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might be tempted you, and our labor should be in vain. Let's stop there and pray. Father, bless your word today uh, in your house among your body of believers. Father, I pray that you bless uh, each heart that is here in receiving your word and, and the instruction you give us today from it. I pray that we as your children would learn how to be faithful to you as our heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. All right. Um, as we all know, it's Father's Day, and unfortunately, we see a very short supply of that fatherly love in our country today. Do you know that in uh, statistics, which I often use in services, if a father goes to church regularly, even without his wife, if the dad attends church regularly, there's a 93% chance that all of his children will attend church as an adult. If the mother goes to church regularly, even without the father, if she goes regularly, there's a 17% chance that their children will attend church as an adult. It doesn't matter if both of them go. If the dad goes, 93% of the time, the children will go to church when they're adults. 
That's a great statistic, isn't it? To uh, kind of encourage fathers to be faithful to God in the church and in the surrounding uh, that the church gives. So that fatherly example today has been missing in our country. You know, 50% of the children in the United States are growing up today in a fatherless home. That's a terrible statistic that we would have children growing up into adulthood without the leadership of a dad in the home. God designed that for a woman to be a mother, not a dad. She cannot fill both of those roles. Many of you mothers perhaps here are attempting that, and my hat's off to you. Okay, You have a difficult course ahead. But God designed it for a dad and a mom together to raise children. And so we're seeing the effects of that every time we turn on the television today and we watch the news, aren't we? We're seeing young men, young women creating or uh, presenting horrific acts of violence, immorality against people, against children. Why? I believe, and you might disagree, but I believe it's because God's hand is being lifted up from our country because we're not honoring him. And we're not doing things God's way. And so now we're seeing the effects of children being raised in fatherless homes without leadership, without authority, without purpose. Today, Paul wrote to a group of people that he was separated from, but he longed to be with them. And they were his children in the Lord. He had led them to Christ. And so he's writing a letter to them, telling them how much he's encouraged by what he hears about them but also to remind them about what he taught them while he was with them. And so I want you dads to apply that today to your life as a father raising children in the home. You grandfathers, you can apply that to your life as a grandfather being around your grandkids and doing things in a godly way that they would have a great example of that leadership of what it is to be a man of God, what it is to obey God, what it is to believe in God, what it is to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, why they need to be saved. All these things can be implanted at young age. You don't have to be an adult to understand the gospel. Amen. It's simple enough a child can receive it. It's simple enough that a man rejects it because it's not complicated. But it's simple to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the Apostle John said in his letter of 3 John. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Man, what dad could not apply that to himself today? You dad seated here today in this building, could you not apply that to yourself? That there's no greater joy that you could have than to know that your children are walking with Christ. They're walking in truth. They're living for Him. And that is a great reason why this message is for us today. If you need to, look or flip your page to verse 11 of the same chapter that we ended in, chapter 3. This is to you young people. Here was the goal of Paul to his believing children. Here is the goal of your father to you today. Verse 11 says, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and to abound in love for one another 
and for all men, just as we also do for you. Why? Verse 13 tells us, So that He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. You young people, your dad doesn't want you to grow up just so you can be a goody, goody, two-shoe person. Your dad wants you to grow up in the Lord so that you can be standing before Christ one day with a holy heart. You dads, your dads, if they were Christian, taught you Christian principles for that purpose alone. That you might one day stand before God the Father of us all with a holy heart to be blameless before Him. To receive Christ, to know what it is to be saved, to know what it is to walk the Christian life. You know, I had parents that took me to church as a young person, as an as adolescent. And when I got out of the house, I went as far from church as any man has ever gone in his life. But because my parents took me as a young boy, when I got to this place in my life where I was broken and undone, and I knew it. I knew what I needed to do. I knew I needed Jesus Christ in my life. I knew He could change my life. I had lived without Him for long enough. And I surrendered my heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ when I was 34 years old. And He changed me. And He made me somebody new. He cleaned me. He wiped away all my past and gave me a new life. Born again to walk with Him. And that, young people, dads, is the purpose in all of the instruction that Paul gives, John gives, Peter gives, the Lord Himself gives, is so that we would walk a new life with God. That's the purpose that all of us need to, to find and to adhere to. And so we see that being played out in, in Paul's letter. He's, he's encouraged about that. When I could take it no longer, I had to send word by a messenger, Timothy, to find out how you were doing. And, and that's the life of a dad. We raise them and then we send them out into the world and we hope and pray that what we've taught them will carry them through, right? We hope that they will stand firm in their faith. A spiritual tie is as deep or more so than any physical tie we could have with our children. All right? I love my kids. I've got two daughters sitting here and grandchildren. Sitting here today, I love them, but my heart is for them spiritually more than it is physically. More than a relationship of a father and daughter, it is a spiritual desire that I have for them to, to know Christ. And so Paul writes that. Now, Paul says, I've desired to come to you, but something stopped him. What was it that stopped him? The devil. He says, Satan thwarted me, put stuff in the way that I could not get around. What gets in the way of you dads today with your children? The number one thing I think is our careers, right? We have to make money. We have to earn income to support all these children that we desire to know the Lord. And so sometimes our jobs get in the way. If you're in the oil field, then you have it even tougher because that is 24-7 uh, for some of you guys that have to do that. In other jobs, it requires uh, coming home and, and doing work at home, even after your job is over. Sometimes our jobs get in the way of us 
having relationship with our children, the proper relationship, time spent with them, time teaching them, time eating with them, all of those things come into play. Sometimes it's money that gets in the way, our need for it, and we put that above our children. And it's not hard to do, okay? I want you to think about something. Uh, Gail and I have talked about this a little bit. We talked about how happy we were, which we still are happy, but how happy we were when we first got married and all the kids were little. And we talked about, why is that? Why were we so happy back then? I tell you why. Because we were penniless. Now you think it's, that sounds funny, doesn't it? But some of you are nodding your head. Yes, we were penniless, but we spent all of our time together. We did everything together. We ate meals together. We went places together. We went pond hopping together. We did all kinds of things together. Those were some of the happiest days of our lives. And then as we get older and other things start infiltrating and the kids begin to take a, a second place because we've got these things in front of us. Well, who's putting those in front of us? The devil. The devil is good at what he does. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Is he not doing that in America today with the family? Is he not killing our families today? with things that are more important than the relationship of a father and a son and a father and a daughter? Does the devil not uh, uh, ramp it up when that happens in our lives and, and things begin to take place? So there are obstacles that we face, men, and it's not flesh and blood that you're wrestling with. It's principalities and powers of evil and darkness that come and fight against us about raising our children in a, in a proper home and in a proper way. There's three things I want you to know about this opposition, all right? The first one is this, that God allows it. Well, that doesn't even make sense, does it? God would allow opposition uh, for getting in the way of me raising my children? Yes, He does. Think about Job. Job did not deserve what happened to him. But God allowed it to happen to him. There was a purpose that we read about in the end of the book of Job. What all of the book of Job was about. We read the purpose of this affliction. Job realized that he was not as strong and powerful and who he thought he was. And he surrendered to God even more of himself. That was the purpose. But God allowed that. And so God uses the opposition sometimes for you and I to... Uh, discover God in a greater way. Now, I know when my children, they're grown, and I have grandchildren now, when they get in a situation, what do I do? Well, I live far enough away, being a pastor, I don't live near any of my children. I live far enough away that all I can do is pray. So I begin to pray for my children. What does that do with me and my father? It draws us closer together. You see, God allows opposition to create an instance, a circumstance where I come running to Him. And then my relationship is deepened and enhanced with my Father over a situation I'm praying about. God allows opposition in our life. Now, the, another reason that He allows that opposition, it, it is a way that He 
It is a way that he deals with um, training us, right? We all know that trials are put into our life to bring awareness to us. Sometimes they're put in our life to get our attention. Like, I haven't been going to church lately. Or I haven't been reading my Bible. Or I haven't been praying. And all of a sudden, something bad happens. What do you do? It gets your attention. You said, oh my gosh, I haven't been going to church. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been praying. I've just kind of put God in the back seat of my life. And so something happens and it gets our attention. God sometimes does that with trials. He also does things with trials to shape us. Now, there's a sin in your life that you are struggling letting go, right? And we've all had those. And, and you might be struggling with one even today. Something that God wants you to stop, but you're not doing. Or something that God wants you to do that you're not doing. Either way, God puts a trial in your life. And so this trial is in relationship to that sin. Instead of surrendering and getting through that trial, we kick and scream like a two-year-old on the floor and throw our head back and yell and cry instead of understanding that God's allowing that trial to get rid of some sin in our life, to get our attention to get rid of some sin in our life. The last thing I want you to see, God uses these trials to develop and mature you and I. Okay, He uses things in our life, hard things, difficult things. He uses those to mold us. The Bible says that we as Christians are going to suffer persecution. The Bible says that the, crow, the, the road to Christianity is not an easy road. It is a narrow road. Amen? It is a straight road. It's a difficult road. And so when we go down this narrow, straight, difficult road... The farther we go, we mature. It's not how long you've been a Christian that makes you mature. It's how far down the road you've gone. Amen? You can be an old man and take one step on the Christian road. You can be a Christian for 60 years and take one step on the Christian road. Or you can be a Christian for five months and you've taken 500 steps down that Christian road. It's not how old you are. It's how far down that road you have gone that matures you and makes you what God wants you to be. He allows trials and troubles in our lives to do that. And so with that being said, I've got children that these troubles come to, and the only thing that I can do is try to teach them. I want to help them mature. I want to instruct them from God's Word. And so I've got some things that I want you to see here this morning. If you're writing these down, that's great. Seven little things that you can teach your children about how to mature as a person of God. Number one, deal constructively with reality. Don't try to hide from it. All right? We all know how people try to hide from reality. Right? Let's go do a little of this or let's go do something else that will alter our thinking and we can get rid of reality for a moment. Listen. It will always come back and get you again. What you need to do is teach your children how to deal constructively with reality, not hiding from it. The second thing goes along with the first thing, to adapt quickly to change. Teach your kids to adapt. You know, our bodies adapt. Our bodies change. Our minds begin to change as we get older. 
Jobs change, workplaces change, relationships change, all kinds of change in our life. And you know one thing an old man doesn't like is change. But we need to learn how to change and to adapt because life does that for us. And so we have to understand that. The next thing is that we need to help them overcome anxiety. That's a big one, isn't it? You know what happens when you get anxious? It's called stress. And we all know what happens when we get stressed. We get sick. Our bodies don't function under stress. They're not made to function under stress. And so we become ill. And things start going out of whack. And we start having heart trouble. Or breathing problems. Or liver problems. Or gallbladder problems. There's all kinds of things that stress can cause. We need to teach our kids how to handle stress. And how do you do that? The Lord says, don't worry about tomorrow. Well, that's easy for him to say. But he told you to do it. So it's not impossible for you to do. If the Lord Jesus told you to not do it, it's not impossible for you. It's possible for you not to worry about tomorrow. He said it like this. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's got enough trouble of its own. Right? Worry about today. Take care of today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You know, that's easy for dads. We, we kind of do that. We can throw things off, flip it off our shoulder. And women can't do that, can they? Women worry. They're, they are worry warts. They just worry about everything. If there's nothing to worry about, they'll make up something to worry about. Amen? That's how that goes with women. But today's Father's Day. And fathers, we don't want to worry. And we want to teach our kids how not to worry. How do you not worry? Instead of, instead of turning away from the facts of your life, instead of trying to close a door and go open another door, how you not worry is facing the problem. I, I'll always remember King David and Goliath. And in the confrontation of those two, the Bible tells us that David ran toward Goliath. Now, who in his right mind would run toward that giant of a man with a spear and a shield as he possessed, except for David? Why? Because he trusted his father. And he believed God's promises. And therefore, he faced the issue. He faced his enemy. How do you overcome anxiety? You face the problem. You don't turn away from it. If you try to cover it up, it will just come out eventually again. The fourth thing I want you to see and teach your children is to find joy in giving rather than receiving. What little kid doesn't want to receive? Amen. We don't have trouble teaching our kids to receive. That just comes natural. And sometimes it becomes unnatural to the point that we say, hey, something needs to be done. What you need to do is turn that around. Let them be the giver. Teach them how to give. Teach them how to give love. Teach them how to, to give possessions. Teach them how to give time. There are many things that we can give rather than receive. Another thing I want you to see to teach your children is to find true fellowship in the church. Now, you know, um, Gail and I were saved within a week of each other. She was saved first. 
And a week later, I was saved. That's just how it worked out. And you know what? We, we didn't know, Gail didn't grow up going to church. I did. So when it came to us going to church together after we were saved, she kind of just let me take her by the hand and lead her in. And we found something there that we didn't know existed. There was people that really loved us without knowing us. And, and we found fellowship with these people. And it got to the point where we desired to be with those people. Both Gail and I came out of a bad situation in our lives. But when we went to that church, small country church over by Fort Cobb, Oklahoma, we, we started going there. Those people loved on us. And, and we found that that was a safe place for us to go. And in fact, we got to liking it so much that any time those front doors were open, we were in it. We enjoyed being there. Now we, doing that, discovered true fellowship of people. True experience of being around people. You can't get that on Sunday morning alone. Let me say it again. You can't get that true fellowship of a church family on Sunday morning alone. All right? You need to be there on Sunday morning, Sunday night, activities during the week, Bible studies, Wednesday night meals, Wednesday night services. Get involved in the church. Teach your kids to find true fellowship. Why do I say that? Because the devil is at work against you. Amen. And he's going to give fellowship to your children, dads, somewhere outside of your range of reach. He's going to give it to them. It might be on the internet. It might be on the television. It might be on the radio. But he is good at what he does. And he's going to reach your kids. And if you don't have them in a church, every time those doors are open... You're losing the battle, I promise you. You won't know it until it's too late. You won't know it until you discover it. And by then, their mind is already infiltrated. By then, it's already happening. By then, you've lost them. Don't allow that to happen. Teach your kids to find true fellowship, even if you don't take them. Danielle, my daughter, sitting here, and, and we would take her to church. We'd let her ride the church bus before Gail and I were saved, and we wouldn't go with her. I look back on my life, and I, 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 I kick myself every time I think about that, that I would send my kids to church without taking them. Hey, it happens. Our church here on Wednesday nights is full of unchurched children. We've got a hundred Children and youth here on Wednesday nights that we feed a meal to, and I would say 90% of them are children that don't go to church on Sunday. You see that? This is one anchoring point in their life that they might be getting something positive in their life. And that's why we do it here at Aaron Springs like that. We go out and get them on buses and we take them home because we want them to know and have a chance at a true fellowship of what people are in the church and what they do. I pray that you would do that, Dad. The last point I want to make with you is this, at least right now. The, to obey the greatest commandment, and we all know what that is. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You've got to teach your children that in their life. These things Paul taught to the Thessalonians here. And... In turn, you and I as fathers need to teach them as well to our children. 
Now, today, unfortunately, that instruction seems to be cut off at graduation. We, we, we let our kids go uh, through school, and we, we make them go to church, so to speak, and, and, and then we have to turn them loose. And what happens, and you know it as well as I do, when kids go from high school to college and they come home, they come home dazed and confused. They don't know up from down after going to a year of college or a semester of college. Because why? The college is teaching them everything they've never heard of and everything they don't want to know. The college will teach them that. Amen? And I'm telling you that because I've experienced it uh, with people in my family and, and, and people in the church family. We all understand that, how that works. So the opposition now is being ramped up. But now they're out of my house. I can't lay down the law to my 18-year-old son anymore. But here's what I can do. I can lay down my heart before him. He needs me now more than he ever needed me before. Because he's out in the world alone. He needs encouragement today in his life more than he ever needed while he was under my roof. I can't, uh, he, he's not under my roof, but he is under my leadership, even as an 18-year-old man, or a 20-year-old man, or a 30-year-old man, or a 40-year-old man. They are still under our leadership as parents so what do we do? Well, look what it says, what Paul says he wants to do. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. You may not be able to reach your 18-year-old son now, or your 20-year-old or your 25-year-old. But somebody can. There's a local church somewhere around their college, somewhere around where they're moved to, a new town. You can do a little digging, Dad, and you can find somebody to go visit your son. He may not be receptive of that. They don't have to know that you asked or sent this person. Paul did that with Timothy. Then we go down to verse 5 and we find that Paul himself wants to go. Dads, dig into your life. Save your children. Do whatever you have to do to encourage them, to remind them, to help them, to realize the truth of Jesus Christ, His life, His burial, His resurrection. Remind your children that they are in the battle. Remind your adult sons and daughters that the decisions they make now are eternal decisions. Not just what color of shoes am I going to wear. The decisions they make about who to hang with and where they go and what they do have life-altering consequences. Eternal consequences. And you, Dad, don't just kick them out the door and let them go. Stay hooked up. Write them letters. Send them text messages. Whether they respond to you or not, that's not why you're sending it. You're sending it to keep feeding them truth. Feed them truth. Feed them reality. Feed them love. One day, like for me, 34 years old, I responded. You know, I don't ever remember my dad telling me that he loved me as a boy. I'm sure he probably did. I didn't think about it. But as I got into a teenage years, I don't remember that. 
But when I became a Christian, and I don't think this is why my dad started telling me that, I think he knew that he was towards the end of his life and things were changing in my dad's life as well as mine. And he began to tell me that he loved me. And you know, I, I, I don't look back with remorse over that. I knew my dad loved me. He did so much for me growing up. He couldn't have done it without loving me. But he began to tell me that face to face and give me a hug. And I knew that meant something. When's the last time you gave your adult son a hug and you told him you loved him? Amen. Feed him. Keep feeding him truth and righteousness. All the decisions he's making now, he needs you more than ever. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, star Lord. Fight for your children, Dad, even your adult children. It's not always the easy choice or the popular way for a child to walk with Christ. We know that, but it is the best way. So we need to help them remove the blinders that the devil puts on people who are unbelieving. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 teaches us that the devil blinds the minds of the unbelieving. So we must keep this continued instruction going and going and going. Paul in verse 5 inquires of his children. Fathers, take interest in your kids. You know what it will do for you? It will make you stress less. When you find out, you haven't been in touch with them for a while, but you find out they're going to church somewhere. They met a girl, and she wants him to go to church. He's going to church. He's hearing the message. He's understanding what's going. You might find that your children, are uh, their love for men and women are evident. Their love for mankind is being revealed. You may find that they have a deep trust and faith in God that you never knew that they had. They don't necessarily share it with you, but as you reach out and push and push and push, you discover that it's a reality in their life, all coming from your leadership when they were in that high chair. Amen? You know, the cure for America is not found in the electric chair. It's found in the high chair. Right? That's where we begin. And all that training that you gave them, and then you send them out into the world, and you lose touch with them, but you keep feeding them hope and love and grace and forgiveness, and eventually, one day you'll get a text back. One day you'll get a message or a visit. You'll get that hug, and you'll know that your son is walking with Christ. What joy I have to know that my children are walking in the truth. There's no greater joy than that. Now, one more thing, when you can't be near them, what can you do for them? You can pray for them. Paul goes on in this chapter to talk about praying for those children. And sometimes when we're not in touch, we don't know what to pray. We don't know how to pray for our children. And guess what? God has given us the cure for that. For our ignorance of those things happening in their life, God gives us a cure. And it's found in the book of Romans chapter 8. It's on the screen. Let me read it to you. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. 
but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and He searches our hearts, or I'm sorry, and He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know what my son's going through today, but I know who knows. And when I don't know how to pray or what to pray, all I do is just bow down in silence and ask God to intervene. And you know what? The Holy Spirit takes over. And He prays for my son in words too deep that I could even understand. But God understands and God knows. And the Spirit prays for my son in accordance with His will. Amen. With God's will. Man, what a blessing we have. It it might be better that we don't pray for our children, right? That God would pray for our children. And He will do that. He says that right there in the book of Romans. So take time to think upon their needs when you pray. Just be quiet and think about what does my boy need? What does my daughter need? What can I do to be a dad to them today? Set that problem before God. Right? Remind God of His promises. Pray earnestly. Pray frequently. Pray night and day, morning and evening. Pray when you're at work, whatever you're doing. Make people think you're crazy at work by going around praying with your lips. Not making any sense, just talking to God. Man, I'm glad I'm going to pray for my son of man. You know, that's what we can do. We can just pray consistently, frequently, earnestly praying for our children. Now, pray that they may see you face to face. Pray for that encounter. You know, uh, when kids are up to no good, you know what happens, right? You don't see them. Amen? They don't come around. Pray that you would get to see your child face to face. Pray that you would get to experience that. Pray that you would fill the void in their life. Pray for their protection. Pray that God Himself would lead them. Pray that their faith would increase. Pray that they would live righteously until Jesus Christ comes again. Now let me tell you something not to pray for. Don't pray that God would take the trials out of their life. That's surprising. No, it's not. What are trials for? Shaping us, molding us, making us. Think about it like this. The night Jesus was arrested, and they were talking to, he was talking to the disciples uh, in, in an instance there close to that night, and Peter uh, was one of those, and Jesus said to Peter, 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 Peter turns to the Lord. He says, the devil has requested to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you, Peter. I'm praying that your faith will hold. And then when you make it through that, and you turn again to me, that you will strengthen your brothers. Did you get that? Jesus didn't say, I'm going to pray that that doesn't happen to you, Peter. I'm going to pray that my Father in heaven prevents the devil from sifting you like wheat. He said, here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for your faith. And what happened? Peter went through a terrible time of denial, didn't he? Remorse and regret. Probably almost to the point he wanted to join Judas in the field of blood on the tree hanging from a rope. But he didn't. 
And he decided to go out and do something he was familiar with. And the other disciples went with him. And there was Jesus on the beach. Who was the first one to Jesus out of that boat? Peter. And Peter found him. And the Lord dealt with Peter and restored him. And who is one of the greatest apostles that we know? He turned to those other twelve and he led them. And he helped them. And he restored them. The way God had prayed for him. Don't pray for your child to miss trials and trouble. Pray that God would sustain them through those trials and troubles. Today's Father's Day. What great joy a father has to see his children walking in the truth. I pray today, Dad, if you haven't been in touch with your boy lately, that you fix that this afternoon. You send him a text. You send him a voicemail. You send him a letter. Send him a picture. Just tell him you miss him. Tell him you love him. What a great Father's Day when you do the reaching. Okay? Let's all pray together. Lord, we ask you to bless this moment for us. And Father, we pray that you would instill in us that, that desire for our children, even adult children, to know and walk with you. And Lord, today, I thank you for bringing us to this place uh, this morning for Father's Day. And I pray, Lord, that uh, even moms would be moved to reach out to daughters today and sons. And that you would restore family order in our country. Father, I know that would fix many, many problems we have. Hang the Ten Commandments again in our schools. Restore prayer, Lord, to our schools. Let children grow up in our schools talking to you, reading your word, knowing who you are. Let them know it's not okay to kill or steal. Let them know that it's good to love each other. Father, begin that even here at Aaron Springs Baptist Church. And we pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're